This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Back for another edition of Scoop Duck and High Five. My name's Matt Bagley. I'm joined across the interwebs by Justin Hopkins at Scoop Duck. And let's start here. I said on my radio show this week, I don't think Oregon needed any style points on Saturday. I don't care that Arizona had a chance in the second half to win because they didn't win. And the Oregon defense did the job when it mattered. I liked that game. Just get the W and move on. What did you like from Oregon's win in Austin on Saturday? Well, you know, it's <clears throat> it, it's going to be hard. I know there are some people that absolutely hate to hear this, but this is still relatively an inexperienced, younger football team overall. There are some players that you know are seasoned and are veterans, but across the board, if you look at Oregon's starting lineup, that's not the case. And and I think that with that comes what I would like to call the growing pains. And I think you see a team that does often almost play to the level of its opponent. I don't think that's a coaching thing. I think that's just a byproduct of this. I know it's something that's somewhat plagued Mario Cristobal during his time at Oregon under head coach, but I don't think it's an indictment of how he coaches. Um, I, I thought Arizona, I thought Arizona did exactly what I expected. They came out with a really good game plan. It's clear that they had the Oregon game circled. It's clear that they watched a ton of tape on Oregon and figured out ways to try and exploit the defense and, 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 and try and keep themselves in the game. And again, I'll circle back to something that we've seen a lot and we're going to continue to see a lot of teams are trying to, you know, and this is Mario's quote, take the air out of the football. They're trying to control the ball. They're trying to keep the ball on offense, have long sustained drives, which keeps the ball out of Oregon's offense and allows them to keep the game in check. And I think that's something Arizona really did, uh, really emphasizes, hey, let's have these, you know, eight, nine, ten play drives that that take three or four minutes or whatever the case might be. Uh, they had almost nearly doubled the time of possession uh, in as Oregon in this game, and they had almost nearly doubled the, the number of plays in this game as Oregon. So I think you're going to continue to see more of that uh, against Oregon all season long. This did have some of the makings of a trap game because – here you are, you know, you play Ohio State, you know, you don't have to, it's pretty hard to get the guys up for Stony Brook, pretty hard to get the guys up for Arizona. You had Stanford the week after Arizona, probably had your eyes a little bit ahead there uh, with regards to some of the players. It's just, that's just human nature. Um, like you said, I thought your point was great, Matt. Oregon got the win. Maybe it wasn't the prettiest win. Doesn't matter. It's still a win. They're 4 no. They're moving on. And for the most part, didn't really sustain any new injuries along the way. Yeah, I, I like what Jerry Allen said last night on the uh, Oregon Football Coaches Show. Y you can find that on all the Go Ducks social platforms like the YouTube and the Facebook that they have. Um, his introductory question to Mario was, so congrats on 4-0, but it's more like 0-0. And Mario's like, yep, yep, trying to get a 1-0 record this week, right? Like, I, d I don't think they really care that much about a 41-19 score they care about the win they're just trying to stay unbeaten yeah and and let's be real if you're a person that thinks that this might be a playoff team okay maybe it is maybe it isn't we don't know we're still figuring that out but come late november nobody's going to remember this game right. they're simply going to right. look at the box score 41-19 oregon one we're moving on and that's it you know no doubt no doubt um Okay, so we, we went over what you liked. What didn't you like? Well, you know, you know, just like anybody else, Arizona hung around, and I, I think that was, you know, a lot to their own credit. Again, uh, they brought out uh, a dual-threat quarterback that I don't believe Oregon was expecting. 
Uh, dual threat quarterbacks, by and large, have given Oregon problems in the past, more so than your your statue pocket passer types, which they're going to see in Stanford this weekend. Um, I thought that was a pretty pretty smart game plan for Arizona. And again, they controlled the ball. Uh, you know, the, the Ducks made a, a few more, uh, we'll just call it mental lapses, penalties, mistakes in this game than I would like to see. Those are easy to clean up, but you still got to clean them up. Um, I, the hard part is, and, and, and I will say that it, it, it bothers me a little bit too, but we need to recognize that it seems as though Tim DeRuiter, by and large, is is kind of settling or enforcing a bend but don't break style of defense. Okay, right. they they're right. gonna they're gonna keep guys in front of them and try to limit the explosive plays. They're gonna give up, you know, they're gonna give up sixty yards from you know the the twenty to the other twenty, and then they're gonna buckle down. So if you go look at total yards and and things of that nature, it doesn't look pretty for the defense. But they're keeping other teams out of the end zone. They're opportunistic when the other team is in the red zone. And at the end of the day, they're scoring more points than everybody else. So um, you don't have to love it, but I think you need to respect that that's probably going to be the philosophy of this team the rest of the year and understand understand the reason that they're doing it. And you have to understand the reason that it can be seen as effective as well. Oh, no doubt. I think that's a really excellent point. You know, David Carr, uh, a longtime NFL quarterback, now an analyst on NFL Network, he said this, I, I think on Sunday night when they were looking back at the week three NFL slate, he said in the summer he visited a training camp and an NFL head coach told him, I don't need the 85 Bears. I don't need a shutdown defense. I just want one or two more possessions. Just give me one or two more possessions on offense. And what they meant by that was, give me one or two turnovers. And and I think that's the objective for Oregon. You'd love to shut everybody out every week. You'd love to look like the 85 Bears and, and just kill people defensively, give up nothing. But winning football in 2021, the way the passing offenses are now, just just give your offense a few more possessions. Get a couple turnovers. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any fan out there that doesn't wish they had the 85 Bears on defense. And and of course, that's the uh, you know that's the goal. Like for the most, not for the most part, but there are a number of weeks that Alabama somewhat resembles that. You think, man, I'd love to have a defense like that. Well, yeah, everybody would. Everybody would like to have a right, defense full right. of top 100, you know, future NFL prospects, you know, and, and credit to Nick Saban. That's what he's built. Everybody's trying to chase that, but there's only one Alabama yes. in the country. I mean, there's only, it's it's them and everybody else. And even on a down year, which this looks like a down year for them, they're still the best team in the country, you know, um, and that's, you know, that's what you aspire to be. Oregon's not there. I mean, expecting that for Oregon's unfair. Um, expecting that for what Mario Cristobal inherited upon arrivals unfair. Um, you know, are they getting better? Yeah, they're getting better. But like you said, that's the thing. A lot of these coaches are looking at the number of possessions. You know, can we steal a possession? Can I have an extra opportunity to score? Uh, and I think the biggest thing, once again, is if you can force your opponent to settle for field goals, if their best case is settling for field goals instead of touchdowns, you're going to win nine out of ten games, if that's the case. Oh. And so... You know, I think that's what you're looking at. That's you're playing the numbers there. And again, I think that's Oregon's defense, no matter how many yards they give up, no matter how bad they look in the middle of the field, if they continue to play the way they're playing in the red zone, they're going to win a lot of football games this year, period. Totally, totally. And I, I think, too, let's say this defense continues to give about 20 to 25 a game. The way the offense is churning right Anthony Brown right now I have to say looks a little bit better than I thought after that Fresno State opener the Oregon offensive line looks better than I expected the running game is awesome I mean they, they can move the chains pretty much anytime they want to and you're getting contributions in the receiving core from everybody I, I think that this offense they don't have to put up 50. They're, they're not, uh, again, you, you compare them to Alabama all the time. They're not Bama on either side of the ball, but I don't think they need to be. Give them a, an extra possession or two, and they're going to burn some clock and put some touchdowns on the board, and you're not going to get close to them. And keep in mind, you know, Oregon plays in the Pac-12. They don't play in the SEC. Yeah. You know, you're going you're gonna to see 
uh, a number of th- well, a number of things. A, you know, the, the the level of competition from you know one through twelve isn't as strong as it is in the SEC overall. But additionally, you see a lot more wide open offenses. You see a lot more variations on offense. Uh, the Pac-12 is very difficult to defend effectively. This is, I mean, that that is one of the things that Coach Cristobal, when when uh, Andy Avalos took the Boise State job, and one of the things that Coach Cristobal I wouldn't say was mandatory, but really wanted was somebody familiar with the Pac-12. And the reason for that is the diversity of offenses you will see. You're going to see a Stanford team this week that's going to run a lot of power, does a lot of play action, does those types of things, has big body, has length on the outside. But then, you know, the following week, you're going to play USC and they're wide open, you know, run and gun. Washington, a little bit more of a pro style offense when they're actually running it. It's just, again, you, you get my point. It's all these different variations of offense. Uh, and you really don't see that very as much in all of the other conferences like you do in the Pac-12. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Stanford game. Looking ahead now, I have this one on the calendar every year. Not simply because of the respect that Coach Cristobal has for that program, but um, I, I've mentioned before, my dad. If if you had to put a gun to his head and make him pick who his favorite college football team is. He's probably picking David Shaw's Cardinal for all the same reasons that Mario always raves about David Shaw. Um, I I know he thinks this is going to be a close game. I know if you talk to any Oregon coach or Oregon player, they think this is going to be a close game. I don't. How do you see this game? You know, I, I, I'm with you. The way I see it, I think this is going to be a pretty close game for uh, at least – half of the game, maybe even possibly three quarters of the game. It's still close. I, I, I think that Stanford will will be able to and will definitely follow or or kind of, you know, be similar to the Arizona model. Take the air in the football. Let's run the ball as much as we can. Let's let's control the clock. Let's keep the ball away from Anthony Brown and all those weapons he has on offense. Let's try and and that's almost aligning with the defensive. It, let's almost try and steal a possession. You know, we're going to run twice as many plays as them. We're going to limit how many plays they can run. I think Stanford will do that. And as such, I think that you will see, hey, okay, Oregon's only up by six and a half, or Oregon's, you know, maybe up by 10 or only up by three or whatever the case might be. I think it'll be close, but I think Oregon will make some adjustments. I don't think Stanford's quite as deep as we've seen them be in the past. And the one thing that I do believe is that Mario Cristobal seems to have pretty good success against the more physical uh, style of football teams. You know, the the, the, the dual threat, wide open uh, stuff seems to give them a little bit more trouble than than these, you know, than these traditional power teams like Stanford. So I don't know if you feel that same way as I do on that, but I think it'll be close for half, maybe three quarters. And I think somewhere in the third quarter, you'll see Oregon start pulling away there. I think, uh, <clears throat> I think Stanford will be behind enough that they're forced to throw the ball a little bit more. And that's where this Oregon defense will become opportunistic and, and, uh, and change the momentum of the game. Yeah. It makes for a really friggin' boring podcast when I agree with every damn thing you say, but I agree with you. I, I think, when, I, when I've listened to, to the interviews in Eugene this week, Mario Cristobal talking to the media and, and Oregon players talking to the media like Anthony Brown, uh, the, the Oregon secondary was, was having a chat with folks the other day, Triquez Bridges, folks like that, and um, they all talked about how physical and tough and, and smart Stanford is, how they execute really well. And in my head, I'm thinking, that's Oregon. Like, you've just described Oregon to me. I, I think that this is a matchup where what Stanford does well, Oregon does even better. And and so I'm with you. I, I don't see the Ducks having an issue in terms of matchups on Saturday. Yeah. No, I, I mean, if, you, if you're just looking, you know, matchups across the board, I think, you know, uh, their longer receivers Oregon can match up pretty well with. Um you know, as far as their offensive line, which in years past has been extremely, extremely dominant, it's not at that level now. I think Tanner McKee is probably going to be one of their quarterbacks Oregon faces, but he's not all that mobile. So if Kayvon Thibodeau is back and, and, and playing at the level that he can play at, you know, these Ducks might be able to get after him. And I would imagine 
Coach DeRuiter's dialing up some things to get a little bit of pressure there and try and force him out of pocket, moving around, you know, trying to make some off-balance throws. I would assume that's part of the defensive game plan for Oregon. If they're able to do that, you know, it's going to neutralize him a little bit. Um, and then from a defensive standpoint, Stanford's not very good at stopping the run. And honestly, that whoever it is, any team that's not very good at stopping the run is going to have a problem with yeah. Oregon as long as Mario Cristobal is there. Yeah, we learned this in Columbus, Ohio State game, right? What was the Buckeyes' lone weakness defensively? They couldn't stop the run, and they couldn't they- beat the Ducks. And specifically, they couldn't stop the run to the left. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, Duck fans are going to be thinking, thinking, grinning, laughing, smiling about that one for a long time. Uh, yeah, for a little while. <laughs> it's just like saying that uh, Heward is, is not that good of a passer outside the numbers in Autzen. You know, it's, it's one of those things you're just going to cherish forever. Um, so, so we're not really concerned it's it's funny too like stylistically i don't think stanford is that much of a, a matchup issue for oregon versus who they were in years past the other angle i was talking to uh oregon sideline reporter joey mack on my show last night and he brought up the crowd noise there really isn't any of it down there like that might be the easiest venue to play in in the whole pac-12 yeah, Stanford and Cal both are traditionally pretty quiet. Um, I don't know if you call them the wine crowd or what everybody calls them, but yeah, I mean they just, you know, they they uh, you know they don't get a lot of students that show up for the games, and they're not very rowdy. Um, the fans aren't the, the you know the other fans aren't very rowdy. Um, typically, I I don't I, I don't think you're going to get a sellout at either one ever. Right. Um, which is which is fine. You. I would I would wager that it's a, I would wager that it's 50-50 this weekend Oregon fans versus Stanford fans. Um the other thing I like about this game is the fact that there's no game behind it. There's a bye. Okay, so right now if you're Oregon if you're Mario Cristobal and you're pre- preaching your 1 and 0 mantra, it's hey guys, 1 and 0 and we got a week off and you don't have a week off, but you get my point. Um I I think that's really important because oftentimes, you know, the, these these younger teams start to look at the at the game behind him. I think that caught Oregon with Arizona a little bit, knowing Stanford was next. Um, you know, no matter who's who Oregon plays coming out of the bye, which off memory, I think it's Cal. It doesn't matter. The next week is a bye, and you're not having to, you know, keep your guys' attention on this week because, you know, frankly, it's just the game. So I, I think that's a benefit to Oregon as well. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Hey, you got me thinking the, the cultural difference – between Stanford fan and Oregon fan, you've done countless tailgates at Autzen. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen? Uh, you know, I don't know that it's like Bill's Mafia crazy because that's a whole, <laughs> you know, that's a whole level of. I don't think I don't see things on fire and stuff out there, right. but uh, I, I just love the diversity of Oregon fans. You do have. You know, you do have some wine drinkers out there. You know, you do have the the the, uh, the upscale tailgates, but then you got all the you know the working man tailgates, which there's nothing wrong with. You know, they just got the yeah. you know the the cheaper beer. They're playing beer pong and they're doing you know cornhole and all the fun stuff. I just I love the diversity of the Oregon uh, tailgating group. You know, you got younger students walking around with fireball in their hands, which is a terrible idea. Just FYI, but. Um, you know, I don't know. I just appreciate that when, whenever, you know, I spend most of my time walking around the Autzen, uh, parking lot, um, just because there's, there's obviously so many parking lots. I know there's the, uh, you know, the Masonic and other areas you can walk into, but uh, I mean, it, it takes hours just to walk around the, the Autzen parking lot and where I go oftentimes, you know, the duck rides by and the motor, well, the duck doesn't, but the motorcycle rides by and the cheerleaders usually come by in the band at some point, if it's early enough. Um, I don't, you just, I, I you know, yeah. and for me, I've said this before, you know, here we are, it's uh, almost the end of September, darn near October, you know, September, October games at Austin, it doesn't get any better. Usually the weather's cooperating, you know, the, 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 the days are perfect. It's 75 degrees out. You know, the night gets a little cooler, but then that's when you load up the fire pit and get it going. Um, 
you know, not much better than, than a tailgate at Austin in September and October in my mind. No, no. I mean, I, I've lived in Oregon since I was a toddler. I'm 29 and then married. My wife's lived here since she was, was 10 or 11. So, you know, we love it here. We're never going to leave this state. This next month, you've got 50 and 60 degree forecasts. You've got clouds. You've got a little bit of rain, but it's Oregon, right? You deal with the rain. I'm with you. I don't know how you beat that. That setting, that weather, that experience, it's one of the best in college football. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's surreal. And I you know, I mean you, you're going to get a couple games in October, um but you had uh you know, three games in September that were home games, you know, albeit it was Stony Brook and Arizona for two of them. Fresno State was a heck of a game, but um yeah, it's it's uh it, it's pretty much unbeatable in in my opinion and getting out there and and if we're lucky, uh Mother Nature will cooperate, and it'll. I know it doesn't rain at Austin Stadium. But sometimes <laughs> it rains outside the stadium. Yeah. Well, I I wonder too. You know, when they say when when Don says that, does he just mean the field or or the stands? Because I, I I think about those shots of uh, all all the just pouring down, flooding on those stands at the Stony Brook game. That was a spectacle. Uh- I think he's merely talking about his little box that he sits in, and that's all. <laughs> I mean, I can't confirm it. It definitely doesn't rain in the press box. I've been up there, but yeah, uh, I yeah. think that I think that's what Don's talking about. <laughs> uh, um, one last thing on on last week's game and this week's game, and and kind of tying those together. It's it's been the fun hot take topic. So as you know me, I don't really dive into that stuff. I, I'm thinking maybe just just one question on it and and do what we need to and move on. But are you concerned at all about that Chris Hudson spat that got on TV? Oh uh, no, uh, you know I'm 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 more concerned with the fact that ESPN continues to employ clowns like Rod Gilmore, which we'll <laughs> all get to mute again this weekend. But, yeah. um, you know, and this has been noted, uh, you know, Chris Hudson knew he made a mistake. I mean, he came off field, you know, shaking his own head and, and he's younger. I know, I know he doesn't, you know, get to play maybe quite as much and it was a big play. It was a great catch. And unfortunately, you know, he, you know, made a mistake and, and, and somewhat ruined that moment. He knew, I mean, the way he handled it was absolutely superb. Come over, you know, look at coach Cristobal. You knew you messed up. You knew you were going to get your ass chewed. Uh, you know, I mean, it was instant, like you're right, coach. I totally screwed up my bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, when you're Mario Cristobal and I, I think that you've built the relationships that you have with your players, um, and you've earned their trust. Uh, you can do that. I mean, there was nobody on the sideline that felt like, you know, hey, coach is, is, is reaming Chris's ass. Uh, what did he do wrong? It's like, yeah, Chris, you probably earned that one, buddy. <laughs> you know, and and that's what you I mean, that's what you need your team to be. That's the you know, they need to understand, you know, when you make a costly mistake, <clears throat> you know, you're uh, you know, I mean, you're going to you're going to pay the price. You're going to be punished for it. And uh I would imagine if Chris Hudson's able to make a play this week or, or scores a touchdown or something, you know, Mario Cristobal will be the first one over there giving him a high five. And and again, you, you know, you, as a coach, you know, you want to praise the successes, but you also need to work on those other things. I know I saw a similar, not a similar, I saw an interview um, with Arkansas's head coach, who's obviously having a tremendous season. Everybody's talking about now. And, you know, he, almost you know basically was kind of asked hey do you you know get after your players and stuff never heard you yell and he said no i don't really do that but i understand the place and i think my my final thought on this is how many times have we seen mario Cristobal do that in three years to a player mm-hmm. i mean right. it, it's not it's not like it's oh here it comes another mario Cristobal, you know headset slam you know he did it once I'm sure he'll do it again in an, another point, but it's not like Bobby Knight's out there throwing chairs every week. Yeah. And so it had its place. I'm sure the two shook hands after the game moved on. I would, I would wager the incidents behind those two. Um, and until we see this becoming an issue uh, happening every game, 
let's call it what it was. You know, he he got he made a mistake, got his ass chewed, and that was that. Yeah, you compared it to Bobby Knight. I made the same reference on my radio show. Bobby Knight would be doing stuff like that all the time, and, and Mario right. Cristobal doesn't. Mar- and, and and honestly, I don't think Mario Cristobal has to. This was just a situation where your coach is obsessed with getting that W, and in that moment, that meant have an efficient two-minute drill that gets the ball into scoring range, and your receiver just blew that moment. Um, of course you're going to be a little mad at him. Of course you're going to be up in his grill. And I, I also brought up on the show, and you, you, touched the, the, you touched this one perfectly, what was Chris Hudson's reaction? Because everyone reacts differently to coaching, right? Like, I know in, in, in your business, you want an editor that connects with you. And that connection could be different for anybody, right? Some people want one that's pretty hands-off. Some people want one that's pretty hands-on. In my line of work, I want a director that listens to what I do and gives me critiques. I want somebody that will say, hey, you know, up in my face, hey, you suck at X, Y, Z, A, B, and C, and you are really good at M and N and O, right? Somebody that that gives me a really detailed critique so that I know what to improve on, what to to make better, what to not worry about. Um, when When you think, okay, what was Chris Hudson's reaction, you watch Chris Hudson on the sideline, you're totally right. I, I'm I'm not a lip reader, but he's nodding his head. You can guess he's saying yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. He's fine with it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I went back and looked, and his response was yes, coach, yes, coach, which is exactly what you have to say. I mean, it's like, you know, coach, you know, coach Cristobal is going to give you a tongue lashing for a minute. You know, don't talk back, don't try and plead your case. You look at him and say yes, coach. At least at that point, you're acknowledging, yeah. I did screw up and it's my bad and, and, and you're right, coach. And then, you know, by doing that, I imagine that the interaction was much shorter than it could have been had, you know, Chris tried to plead his case. And, uh, and I, I guess that's, you know, I suppose that's probably, uh, you know, where I'll leave it, but it, it didn't bother me one bit. I was, I was completely impressed with how Chris, Chris Hudson responded um, you know, with Coach Cristobal on it, and uh, again, until we see this sort of thing happen week in and week out, it was it was tough because, like you said, it was uh, going into the half, you know, or it was a closer game than it probably should have been, or that he would he wanted it to be, and you know, Oregon kind of had an opportunity there to, to to you know, quote unquote, steal a possession. Well, you know, unfortunately, that that ended up being costly, not being able to you know take that one all the way. But. Yeah. He'll learn. He'll learn from it. I doubt we'll ever see Chris Hudson make that same mistake again. Oh, no, I'm, I'm almost certain of it. Uh, anything else that you want to touch on? We, we still got five games, lock of the week. Anything else you want to touch on Oregon, Stanford, or looking back, Oregon, Arizona? No, just, you know, I, I think that, uh, <clears throat> again, uh, you know, I think the last thing I want to say is, I think this is a good Oregon football team. I think they're even uh, playing slightly better than I imagined. I never in my wildest mind thought that this was the year that this is a playoff caliber team. Now, with that said, with where they are, I understand Oregon's number three. I still don't think it's a playoff caliber team, but it might be a playoff caliber team this year. We're seeing a lot of... I would say down football outside of Alabama and Georgia, you know, you're, and even then they both look beatable, you know, Ohio state's obviously suspect as we've seen now Clemson's not the same Clemson. Um, you know, you're seeing, I just don't think you're seeing a lot of dominant football. So in this year, yeah, this certainly looks like it's a playoff caliber team, but that doesn't mean that the level of football is 12 and 0 football. I don't think it is. And I think it's important that you really look at those two things. I think it, in most years, you know, two years ago, three years ago, you know, we're looking at this team and seeing it exactly what it, for what we thought it was. And that's a, a somewhere between a uh, probably seven and 15 team, you know, number seven uh, to number 15. I think that's where they are. But this is clearly not that year. I don't see a lot of dominant football teams out there. I see that this team could hang with Notre Dame. I think this team could hang with Cincinnati. You know, I, I all those teams in the top 10. 
outside of Bama and Georgia, I think Oregon can beat those teams. But again, it, I, I still just don't think that means they walk through this season 12-0. and I think they've got some 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 lumps ahead of them. Um, they're going to learn a lot, and I think I think it's pretty clear the building blocks are being laid for the future of this of this program. Yeah, even if they make the playoff, I I don't feel comfortable saying they have a shot at a title just because of of Bama and Georgia, how good those squads are this year. Um, but I'm with you. This is a year for Mario Cristobal to try to raise the ceiling, try to get into the playoff. And 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 keep that momentum rolling so that you can out recruit USC no matter who takes over in LA. You can out recruit UCLA, out recruit Washington, and keep dominating the Pac-12 and get to to more playoffs. Like you've always made the comparison. Everybody wants to to say Mario Cristobal's building the Bama of the West, but you've always said you think he's trying to build the Clemson of the West, where. Bama plays in a conference that has a ton of parity and depth, and Clemson gets to beat up on the ACC every year. I mean, this year being the exception. But but for the last few years, it was like Clemson had a free ticket to the playoff. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's a, a fair comparison. And if you're looking at it like in big picture things, not just this year, you know, Bama is the gold standard. That's the one. Everybody's trying to be Bama, and no nobody else in the country is Bama. That's it's its own, right? You know, it's it's its own, and and I think you've got right under him. You've got Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. You know, man, I'm not sure you could put Georgia there quite. But you got these these teams that are just kind of right there, but definitely not on that sustained level of Alabama, of Alabama greatness. They're really good though, and I think if you're Mario Cristobal, you're you're just you're the next peg down from them at the moment but you're really trying to bang on that door and get to where clemson is and 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 Notre dame is and you know those those three or four programs that are kind of in that in that tier two status and then obviously once you get there then then of course you work on becoming the bama of the west but that's i mean that's that's a long ways out i don't think people realize how long it took nick saban to build what he's built it at alabama oh yeah i mean give him credit he's an amazing ceo obviously you know, pays a lot of attention to recruiting, you know, they have all of, uh, you know, of the money that they need to expand the recruiting offices. They've done all these things, but they didn't do all that stuff overnight. It took a long time. uh, And and now you're seeing, you know, the finished product of it. Oregon can get there. But right now, I think if you can get yourself to be in the Clemson of the West, you're in pretty good shape. Oh, yeah. Time and money. That's what it's going to take. And uh, and a lot of luck, too. Nobody ever mentions that part. Uh, Five games. I love to do this every week during football season. The five non-duck games that we think you should watch. Because we know you're going to tune in 1230 on ABC and all across the uh, Oregon radio network as you try to avoid Rod Gilmore's creeds. But here's five more games. Don't involve the Ducks. These are going to be a lot of fun. Rules are simple. These five games don't feature the Ducks because I know you're going to watch or listen at 1230 on ABC and the Oregon Radio Network. See how I throw that in there for, for those of us that don't want to hear Rod Gilmore. Um, but, but here's five more games. And I'll go first with one of mine. My theme for the week is playoff because you hit the nail on the head, Justin. There's Bama. Then there's arguably Georgia. And then there's a third tier with like 10 other potential playoff teams this year. That doesn't mean that there's 10 or 12 playoff caliber teams, just 10 or 12 teams that are in the conversation right now. And I want to see that conversation start to thin out a little bit. So I'm going to start off 9 a.m. Saturday, right after college game day. Number eight, Arkansas. What a story at number two, Georgia. Totally. Had that one. That's my first one as well. Uh, I'm with you there. Let's see if Arkansas is for real. Uh, maybe let's see if Georgia's for real. You know, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, we've seen Kirby Smart have some good teams uh, in years past, but, you know, they, they can't quite get over the hump or they have, you know, that, that lapse game or whatever the case might be. So, yeah, and that's a great way to start your day. I mean, that's, that's two top 10 teams you know, uh, conference opponents. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's a game that was on my list. 
I think that'll be a good one, and I'm excited for it as well. Yeah. Um, I went I went next with Cincy versus Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. That's seven versus nine. I'm going to guess you have that one as well. It's a pretty good game. Uh, oddly enough, Cincinnati is favored. Oh, coincidentally, Georgia is an 18-and-a-half-point favorite against Georgia. That's or, uh, Arkansas, excuse me. That seems absolutely wild to me. But uh, uh, anyway, Cincy and Notre Dame, it's a one-and-a-half-point uh, favorite for Cincinnati, eleven thirty on NBC. Um, I want I, 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 I always have a tough time believing in Notre Dame. They always seem uh, a little bit suspect, but uh, you know, I guess we'll we'll get a good chance with them and uh, you know, Cincy Notre Dame this week. Yeah, I've got that one down as well. Eleven thirty on NBC. Uh, if any G five school. And I don't count Notre Dame in this because the playoff committee doesn't count Notre Dame in this. But if any G5 school has a shot at the playoff, it's Cincy. So I want to see how they come out. And then I want to see how Notre Dame comes out because I think that Wisconsin game was their best performance of the year. Um, You know, you want to see if they can come out like that again and just shut them down in the second half. Um, Third game for me, and this is playoff watch. This is not like I want to see a really compelling matchup, but just I want to see how these teams near the Ducks in the polls come out. Number six, Oklahoma, has drawn a lot of criticism lately. Like there's there's folks down there that don't think Spencer Rattler is the long-term answer. Oklahoma at K-State, 1230 on Fox. I want to see how the Sooners come out. Yeah, I didn't have that one listed, but I totally, uh, you know, understand why you did. Um, again, like you said, that gets another team that's 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 near where Oregon is ranked, and you want to see if it's a, you know, kind of a pretender or a contender. Uh, I always, once again, every year, I have a tough time buying into the Oklahoma hype, um, and I wasn't about to do it this year either. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a great game to watch, and I guess we'll kind of see and. Uh, yeah, Oklahoma fans are crazy for them to be chanting to bench the quarterback during the game. I mean, that's 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 absolutely wild stuff. So, kind of be interesting to see how that one plays out this weekend. Uh, for for me, number three, I had Ole Miss and Bama simply because uh, I mean, I'm on the Lane train. I want to see him. <laughs> I, I love you know, I love I love his his flair. Uh, I think Alabama will absolutely roll them but you know lane kiffin has had you know what i would just kind of call some mixed mis- mixed success against nick saban in the past um he's been clearly outmatched in terms of of talent but uh you know he always seems to do a pretty good job matching up a little bit and and, and making it interesting so um and that's a 12 30 game so that's uh, you know you probably won't watch that one as much because it's the same time as the ducks but might be one if you got split screen or two tvs or whatever the case might be yeah, you know, his career is fascinating, and, and I say this as somebody that, I'm a Raider fan, so I've been familiar with Lane Kiffin for a really, really long time, um, but, you know, his dad was a lifelong assistant, his godfather is Pete Carroll, who was an assistant well into his 40s and, 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 um, and then got his break in the NFL, and Lane Kiffin kind of gets the opposite of what those guys got. And instead of having to grind for decades and, and work really hard to climb the ladder of college football, he gets thrust into a really good job at USC when some coaches ahead of him get promoted. And he gets thrust into a you know NFL head coaching job. I'm not going to say it was a really good one because you know that, that environment in Oakland was a difficult one working with the late Al Davis. But he gets an NFL head coaching job, gets an SEC job when that flames out, leaves that for the Pac-12, and I don't think he had turned 40 yet. And so I I think the Lane Kiffin you saw in all those stints is markedly different than the Lane Kiffin leading Ole Miss right now. I, I think... You, you've said for years, you know, Nick Saban is long in the tooth and he's not going to be at Bama forever. When Nick Saban steps down, I wouldn't be shocked if Lane Kiffin is the top dog in the SEC West. Yeah, it's I don't think that any 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 coach, uh, you know, pro or NFL has 
you know, grown more in the last 10 years than Lane Kiffin. I think he's done a lot of personal development. I think he's learned some, you know, very valuable lessons, some, you know, obviously had some mistakes along the way. And uh, like you said, I totally agree with you. I don't, the the old, the old miss Lane Kiffin is not the USC Lane Kiffin that we had just a few years ago. He's definitely grown a lot, you know, personally, and uh, he's a really good coach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you know this is the 13th anniversary? Uh, this week was the 13th anniversary of him trotting out Sebastian Janikowski for a 76-yard field goal? I, I uh, That came up. I don't remember if it was like a Twitter thing or it was like a – but, yeah, one of the one of my feeds brought that up. So I remember clicking on it going, oh, yeah, you know, and then you, you, you hear <laughs> about the wild stories of, of Janikowski partying and, yeah. you know, being drunk for – two thirds of his games or whatever the case might be, but old Janney had a leg on him. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always thought if you're going to get fired and, and that's why he did it. He, he didn't, he came out on Twitter and he said he would do it again. I say BS. He, he wanted to get fired, but if you're going right. to get fired, that might be the funniest way to do it. Yeah. Go out with a bang, right? <laughs> Literally. Um, fourth game for me, by the way, I, I don't have Bama Ole Miss. Not because I don't like the potential. Well, I, yeah, I mean, not like I don't like the potential of an Ole Miss upset. I just, logically, I, I've seen Bama like a machine the last two years. Every time I put them on this list, they blow somebody to smithereens. So I'm just going to yeah. assume that one's going to be a blowout, even though I, I agree with everything you just said about Lane Kiffin. Uh, fourth game for me. Number four, Penn State at Indiana, 430 on ABC. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I'm not sure that Indiana's for real this year, so I didn't I didn't have that one. Uh, you know, loved the, the season they had a year and two ago, but uh, um, yeah, didn't peg that one. You know, I, I guess if you're wanting to know, personally, I, I think this, I think, I think Penn State is a good team. Um, uh, I think they're going to end up having some difficulty the second half of the season because I think this James Franklin and USC talk is going to get pretty hot and heavy and become a distraction up there in Happy Valley at some point. It's mm-hmm. not now because you're four games in, but I think that's coming. Uh, I, I'm definitely not ready to buy the, the Penn State um, hype just yet, but that, that could be an enter- entertaining game, no doubt. Uh, my fourth game is is UW and Oregon State, which I probably wouldn't have had a week ago, but I do now. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's a obviously a game that Oregon fans are are going to have an interest in, you know, to see how Washington responds, to see how Oregon State responds off of its win over USC down in LA. So I just I think that's a a tremendous game, and ironically enough, uh, the Beavers are a two and a half point favorite in that one. Yeah, 6 o'clock on Pac-12 Network. That's my fifth game, and it's it's really just a matter of this Oregon State team, when they play mid-major schools, when they play the uh, the uh, FCS 1AA level, they whoop on them, and, and that's how I see Washington this year, right? You lose to yep. Montana, you struggle on offense in every game. Um, you, you, you're a mid-major school. I, I'll, I'll offer you this story. I have a guest coming on my radio show tonight who is an old friend of mine. Um, He works at Pac-12 Network as a producer behind the scenes, and he did his undergrad at Penn State, where he is still like a diehard Penn State fan. And when the Ducks hired Joe Moorhead, he called me and was like, that is a brilliant hire. This dude's a genius. I love him. And when the Huskies turned around and got John Donovan the next day, I brought him on my show, and I swear to God, for like 10, 15 minutes, it was like somebody had peed in his breakfast cereal. He was so disappointed, so sad. Like, John Donovan just had nothing – he had nothing good to say about him. And and I, I kept thinking then, I'm like, if just a random Penn State fan can, can feel that way after watching right. that team – how did he get a job? How does he end up an offensive coordinator of another Power 5 school? And how does anybody think, oh, this can be fine. He'll, he'll be great. He'll be good. 
It was it was so obvious, and and but now yeah. we're seeing all that come to fruition. This Washington offense might be the worst in the conference. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. I think Oregon State's going to blast him. I think Jonathan Smith, you know, Jonathan Smith is doing the most with the least, I feel, in the conference. I, he doesn't have a good team, but he's coaching them really well, and they're competitive. Um, you know, I, I think Oregon State's going to win that game, but yeah. – uh, Apparently, so does the people that that make the rules in in Vegas as well. But yeah. uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and and I uh, so so fifth game for you. What's what's your fifth game? Uh, last game? Last game for me is ASU and UCLA, and I, I just again you know a Pac-12 uh, game, one that I think Oregon fans will you know have their eyes on and be paying attention to. Um, as they should, I, again, I'm not ready to buy stock in ASU. I'm kind of wondering where UCLA is at, you know, can they beat them? They're a three and a half point favorite there. Um, you know, and that's pack 12 after dark. That one could get weird seven 30 on FS one. So, you know, luckily with this, uh, Oregon game being at 1230, you know, you've got a couple good, uh, pack 12 centered games later on in the night for your, uh, for your dessert, hopefully your dessert, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, and and I almost had that one down. I think it's going to be a fun game. I just I I don't know if it really matters. Like we've seen UCLA a couple times now, and I think we can deduce how they're going to come out when they play the Ducks soon. Um, so those are our five games. A lot of top ten matchups: Bama, Ole Miss, Notre Dame, Cincinnati. Uh, we we both had the uh, the game at Reeser on Saturday night, Pac-12 Network. So that's going to be fun. And now it's time for Lock of the Week. Lock of the Week. We like to tell you one thing we are so confident about, one prediction that we just feel it's certain that we can lock in right here on the podcast. I'm, I'm usually certain, but my lock is not a lock. Uh, so I'll let you go first because you are always on fire with these, Justin. What's your lock of the week? Uh, so, look, Stanford's run defense sucks, okay? It's not very good. I'm quite confident that Mario Cristobal will look to exploit that. They'll run the ball a lot. But, so, I mean, you, you'll see good – You will you should see good days for, for C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye. But here's – to me, here's the X factor. You know, if, if Oregon – is preparing to do that Stanford more than likely is trying is going to try and do everything it can to stop those two from running loose. So that'll be the battle within the battle. So the X factor now becomes Anthony Brown in my mind. And I think for my lock of the week, I'm going to go with Anthony Brown rushes for a hundred yards and passes for a hundred yards each. So he has the, the hundred hundred combo this week. I think his legs will be incredibly valuable. Uh, if he's, if he's effectively, running the zone read, uh, he should see a lot of opportunity to run the ball because I get the feeling Stanford will really focus on on Verdell and Dye and trying to stop them. So for me, Anthony Brown becoming a true, you know, dual threat in this offense, I think he I think he puts up a hundred yards on the ground and in the air this week. I like that. I like that. I'm going to go in a different direction. Oregon's defense, uh, we've talked about it all pod and, and really all season. They've given up points, but they get turnovers in return. I think this is a week where they get some turnovers, and I've pinpointed that Stanford quarterback position. Tanner McKee, there's a lot to like, but I see a sophomore. I see an underclassman that is facing the toughest defense he's gone against all year, and I think this Oregon secondary takes home at least two picks. So two-plus INTs, that's my lock of the week. And hopefully I'm right for the second time this year. I, I was really puffing my chest out after the C.J. Verdell lock in the uh, win in Columbus. Let's hope I get another one of those. Justin, anything else you want to hit on before we hang it up? No. Uh, you know, I know folks are asking about the podcast. Make sure you are clicking on the new. Uh, the, the In my Twitter profile is the link to the new iTunes listing. iTunes, excuse me, listing looks exactly like the old one. If you're hearing this, you've probably found it, but make sure you follow. You've got to refollow. Share it with your friends. Post it on your social media, and uh, and I promise Matt and I will get 
get back into doing these weekly and and keep them coming and uh and and just appreciate the support and thank you guys for listening yeah just to follow up on that we were talking before i hit record on this we usually chat for like four or five minutes and we were kind of going retrospective because we we launched this pod what four years ago has it been four years i think so i think it's been four years i think we i think we taped this the first full year for Mario Cristobal, like that first month of September when they lose to Stanford in his Pac-12 opener, I think that was the first season we were doing this. And I just remember when we launched this, there were maybe two other notable Oregon Duck podcasts out there. I think that my friend Adam Chimeo at Addicted to Quack, who I've known for over half my life now, I think he was doing his Quack 12 pod. And then I think Tyson Alger was still at the Oregonian doing his pod with Aaron Fentress that they used to do. And that was it. There was nothing else out there. And now you've got ours and you've got like 40 other ones. And and some of them copy us. And I take it as a compliment, right? Uh, some of them copy the copies. And, and that's funny too. Like, there's so many other podcasts out there now, and, and we wonder, like, man, does anybody listen? Is anybody out there, right? How do you take in all, all 40 of these things? But no, we still get tweets. I get people to reach out on social media. Um, obviously, I, I see on the Scoop Duck boards, you know, we got people posting on the forums and stuff, asking about it or leaving messages. And I, I think it's really cool that, that even though there are so many other things out there now, you still listen to us. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely a testament, you know, to the work that you do and then, and just, you know, the perspective we offer and, and, uh, yeah, we'll keep doing them and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll fine tune it. We'll get, we'll get them back on a regular basis and get it, get everything settled in and, and just keep them coming for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. The, the work quote unquote scoop duck and hi-fi. I'm Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. We'll be back next time. Thank you for listening. If you like the pod, share it with a friend. And, uh, oh, yeah, one last thing I always say. Go Ducks. I can do this night like all day long.